Good morning, One Church. How y'all doing? Fantastic. You just saw a preview of our new series entitled 2012, The End. Uh, I actually have to go up because if I go down, you're going to go, it's the end. Some of you guys know that uh, 12-21-2012, a lot of people believe that that's when the end of the world is going to happen. And uh, we're going to be talking about that for the next three weeks, starting next week. So I would encourage you, if you have any friends, you got any family, it would be a great time to invite somebody to church. It's going to be really good because everybody's talking about it. And I'm kind of bummed out about it because i got to be honest with you, I really want to preach and talk a lot about Christmas. Because I'm a Christmas idiot, all right, because I love Christmas. And, uh, but, uh, you know, everybody's talking about the end of the world. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Jesus' second coming with this series. Uh, Christmas was the first coming, but we're going to be talking about the second coming for the next three weeks. So make sure to show up next Sunday as we talk about 2012. The end? All right, got to go up. All right, cool. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at One Church. Thank you so much for being here. I want to welcome all of you guys here, as well as all of you guys uh, watching our streaming video uh, or uh, going on Vimeo or listening to our podcast. If you uh, have some uh, folks who don't live here in Clarksville, or maybe you have some folks who are maybe deployed, uh, you can be able to contact and check out One Church through a lot of different venues, and you can go on our website to do that. So um, also, want to let you know of a resource, onechurchmedia.tv, and that's how you can check out all of our uh, services streaming live right now. So hi, Mom. Good seeing you guys. Also, uh, before we dig in too much, uh, today is my oldest son's 14th birthday, and he's back there serving on cameras, and I'm so proud of my son, Walt. He's, uh, he, he does great. So anyway, Melikalikimaka. Um, All right, today we are ending our last series talking about money. And some of y'all, you're really excited about this series is ending. Uh, So am I, uh, because so many times nobody likes talking about money and, you know, me as well. So, but before we dive into it, quick question, how many of y'all had a good Thanksgiving? Let me see your hands. Good, all right, good. All right. How many of y'all actually that you or your wife like cooked for Thanksgiving? Let me see your hands. Sweet. How many of y'all went over somebody else's house? Let me see you. All right, that's good. So a lot of y'all went over to somebody else's house. All right, sweet. So quick question for those who invited people over to your house. Um, when, like, what did you cook? I assume turkey. All right, what was, like, your favorite part of the meal? Anybody want to put it out there? Pies, what was that? Dressing tamales? Okay. It, it's what our founding fathers would have wanted. Um, all right, cool. Tamales. All right. Pecan pie. I heard, heard the pies in there. I was talking to Jamie, who actually works at our children's registration, and her favorite was um, the sweet potato casserole. So um, anyway, my mom makes a really mean sweet potato casserole. Let me tell you this. I love Thanksgiving. It was so much fun. We got to hang out, and we normally put up the tree on Thanksgiving. We didn't this year. Um, but here's the thing about this. If you were expecting people at your house for Thanksgiving and you were cooking, let me tell you what you didn't do, all right? You didn't answer the doorbell in your nightgown or your robe and wiping the sleep out of your eyes if somebody was showing up for lunch for Thanksgiving, did you? Most of y'all probably doing that. Let me tell you another thing. The reason why you didn't do that is you were planning on them coming. Let me tell you another thing you didn't do. You didn't, once they were there in your house, you didn't open up the fridge and scratch your head and go, uh, what are we going to eat? 
You didn't serve them week old leftovers of lasagna or tamales or anything leftovers, right? You probably did something fresh. Why? Because you were planning on it. That's huge. You didn't serve them you know, week lo- a week old meatloaf or anything like that. You probably were planning on it. Well, today, we're going to be diving in. This is huge. We're going to be diving into our last week of God's. And I'll tell you, even though we wouldn't do that, we wouldn't serve our guests for Thanksgiving leftovers. In fact, if, if for some of you, if you maybe invited your boss over or maybe your commanding officer over to eat with you, um, and you and your wife, you cooked, you probably didn't serve them leftovers. You probably got out your fine china and you got something fresh. All right, that's huge. That many of us, when it comes to our relationship with God and what we give Him, many times we give leftovers. And I'll tell you, so many times for years of my life, that's exactly what I did with God. And maybe some of you do that as well, too. So I want to talk about that today and how, and talk about this whole thing of, uh, that our giving is tied to our loving. Our giving is tied to our loving. We're going to see today that we shouldn't give God leftovers. And the more you love, the more you love giving God first. There's something about this. One of our big ideas a couple weeks ago was this. When we give, it's an invitation for God to get involved. But let me even dig down in even deeper in that today. That when we give and we think of God first, it's an invitation for God to move and to get involved in our lives. We give first to God. I tell you, the Bible talks a lot about first and priorities, prioritizing. It's priorities, huge. In fact, Colossians chapter 1. And we taught on this a couple of years ago here at One Church. Colossians chapter 1, it's going to be on your screen or it's going to be on your version notes. It says this. Now, every time you see the word first, I want you to say the word first. Now, by fact, let's try it right now. First. Let us do what I'm talking about. Ready? First. All right, let's do it. All right. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He existed before God made anything at all. By the way, what does that mean? That he was first, before God, all right? And he is supreme. Another word for supreme is first, all right? Uh, Supreme over all creation. He existed before everything else began, and he holds all creation together. I'm going to keep on reading. Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. That's huge. Let me tell you, the reason why I'm not the senior pastor is because Jesus is the senior pastor. All right? He is the one. He is the head. All right? He is the first of all who will rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. The Bible says that Jesus should be first. All right? We got that. That's good. All right? But the reality is, and the reality has been for, for far too long in my life, Jesus wasn't first in Chris's finances. And Jesus may not be first in your finances either. In fact, I want to show you a list of how, and by the way, I got this list from Randy Alcorn. And he wrote a great book about money and and, and finances. But this is a way that many of us, we spend money. And it's usually in this order. The first one is we, with five things you can kind of do with money, first one you you can what? Spend it. All right, tell the truth, shame the devil. How many of y'all are out for Black Friday? Let me see your hands. How many of y'all are out for Gray Thursday? 
I don't know what they're going to call Wednesday. All right, cool. All right, I'll see y'all. All right, so, all right, so spend it. We can spend it. All right, nothing wrong with spending it. Some of y'all are we're, we're good. We're usually good at that. Second one is repay debt, which is kind of like the first one. You spend it. You just didn't have enough money for it. Right? We talked about that last week. Repay debt. All right. And then three is what? Pay taxes. If you don't pay taxes, wh- what do you call people who don't pay taxes? I tell you, it's called Richard Hatch. All right, some of y'all don't know who that is, the first winter survivor. Or um, uh, there's a dude who played in the Blade movies. I can't remember his name. Wesley Snipes, exactly right. He didn't pay taxes for a while. A good um, a person I used to look up to in Christian music, his name was Phil Driscoll. He didn't pay da- taxes, and he, he got put in jail. And y'all remember how Al Capone got put in jail? Didn't pay taxes, right? All right, it's huge. So pay taxes, that's kind of America. And then the fourth way that we can kind of deal with our money is we can what? Save it. And then the fifth way, give it, all right? So that is the five things that you can do with your money. That's pretty much it. Spend it, repay debt, pay taxes, save it, and give it. Now, here's the thing. This is huge. You know, we, we, all of that thing, I'm going to kind of report this and talk about this. The first one really is me. We spend it on me. Spending it is on me. Repaying debt, well, guess what? That is me, right? Uh, paying taxes, that's kind of a we thing. That's an America thing. Fourth is me. And then give it is what? It's God. Now, again, what's wrong with that is that's most usually how most of us kind of deal with our money. That you know what, if we don't spend it all, and if, and if the credit cards don't take it all, and if America doesn't tax it all, and, and if, we, you know, if we got maybe a dollar to save, and at the end we're like, oh, yeah, then there's God. The problem with this whole idea, this whole list, that many of us, including myself, we've kind of lived by for a long, long time, is it really puts me first. It perks puts you first, and it places God where? Last. It's we're giving God the leftovers. Now, here's the problem with this. We talked a little bit about this last week and the week before, that even though this may be all of our reality, this whole me first, me, me, we, me, God, and we put God in the back, put God giving leftovers, that when hard times come, when we can't pay the bills, when something's going to get turned off, Usually, who is the first person we run to? It's usually God. And we say, God, God, please help, you know, give me enough money, let me get out of debt, this. But I wonder if God's ever scratched his head going, you know, why should I do that when it's me, me, we, me, and I'm at the bottom. I'm kind of like a number five. I'm not even a number two. I'm not even a number three. I'm like a number five. But God, please, get involved in my finances. But there's something, this me, fo- uh, me first approach shifts God out by placing him last. That's huge. Because, and hear me, this is a huge principle found all throughout the scripture. That the way you prioritize your personal finances represents either an invitation for God to work in our lives or a cancellation of God not working in our lives. Now, that's huge. That's strong. And I'm going to give you two passages of Scripture today that we're going to be looking at. In fact, if you have your Bibles, in fact, we give away Bibles for free here, you can turn to the last book of the Old Testament. 
It's the book of Malachi. We're going to be in the book of Malachi, and then, then we're going to jump over to the next book in the Bible. It's the first book of the New Testament. Anybody know what that is? Matthew. Very good. All right. So we're going to look at this. When we, when we give God the leftovers, we cut him and his power out of our lives. Now, as you're turning to Malachi, let me give you some context. <clears throat> Here was God's people, Israel. Malachi is a prophet, and he's coming to the nation of Israel, and he's speaking against the leadership in Israel, primarily the preachers and the priests. And he comes with this message. He says this, and this is huge. He says to the nation, you're bringing all of your leftovers to God. That is basically Malachi's message. Back then, they had a sacrificial system. And what they would do is that in order for you to say thanks to God, in order for you to have your sins forgiven back then, you would be able to come and bring an animal. And this animal you would bring to God would be an animal that would be hopefully like kind of perfect or kind of close to perfect. You would never ever think of bringing like a, a crippled lamb or a blind lamb or anything like that. You brought the, God the first and you brought God the best. But here was the problem the nation of Israel was having. They weren't giving God the first, and they weren't giving God the best. They were giving God leftover week-old meatloaf. That's what they were giving God. And they were giving God such gifts that you would never, ever give a guest. You would never, ever give like your boss coming over to dinner. But that's what they were giving to God. And what we're going to see Malachi talk about in Malachi chapter 3, verse 7, is their priorities were upside down. That's huge. Look at what it says. Malachi chapter 3 verse 7. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. And look at this. God says through Malachi through the people, says this, now return to me, God says, and I will what? Return to you, says the Lord Almighty. There's a cause and effect here. Return to me, and I will return to you. And God is saying to his people, I would love to move in your direction. I would love to get involved in your situation. I would love to get involved with your children. I would love to get involved in your marriage. I would love to get involved with your job. I want to move in your direction, but I'm waiting for you to move towards me. That's essentially what God is saying. Look at what it says at the end of verse 7. But you ask... This is what they're asking. They said, okay, return to me, and this is what they say. But you ask, how can we return to you when we've never gone away? Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how can we return? This is, the people are asking this question. What do you mean returning, God? We haven't gone anywhere. We're still giving sacrifices. We're still giving all this stuff. We're showing up at church. What do you mean? We've not left you. So in the people, the Israel say, what do you mean return to God? What does that look like? I mean, what do you mean? Look what it says. Should people rob God? Yet you have robbed me. To which they say this. How, how, what do you mean? But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever rob you? They're scratching their heads. How do we rob God? How do we return to God? These are the questions they're asking God. You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due me. Now, for some of you, if you grew up in church, you kind of know what a tithe is. Others of you don't. Let me explain a little bit. In the Old Testament, um, you had these group of people who were the Israelites, and God said, listen, I want you to give a percentage of what you get 
back to me. Because one of the things we're looking in this series is that how much do we owe? How much do we own? Nothing. In fact, who owns it all? God. That's exactly right. So God says, listen. I want you to give back to me first. I want you to give back to me a percentage. And the percentage that God had and and, and talked about is the word 10%. In fact, the word tithe literally means 10%. Now, so when he said you've been robbing me, he said "You've you've been giving, yes. But you've not been giving the way I've invited you to give. Giving is no longer a priority, God is saying. Now, God had set up a deal with the nation of Israel back in the Old Testament. He basically said this, look, if you honor me, I'll honor you. If you honor me, I'll protect you from all of your enemies. If you honor me, your crops will go bigger, faster than everybody else's. If you honor me, you will be victorious in battle. God has set up this deal. If you honor me, you're going to have lots of babies. If you honor me, the whole world will look at you and go, whoa, who is their God? I mean, their God is so amazing, so fantastic. I want to be a part of that. God had made a deal with them. But at this point of time, literally at the end of the Old Testament, they've drifted so far away from God that nobody was wanting to be a part of this nation. They were wanting to run from it because their priorities were so turned upside down that they weren't honoring God, and in turn, God wasn't honoring them. It's a cause and effect. Now look at this, Malachi 3.10. Here's the command. Bring, this is God talking, it's a command. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouses so that there will be enough food for my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it. Put me to the, what's that last word? I'll tell you, that right there is amazing. In fact, this is a question that we got last week, I think at the end of the second service. Is it okay to put God to a test? In, in almost in every area of Scripture, God says, no, don't, me, don't put me to the test here, 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 here. But here is the one instance that God says, listen, I know this money thing is tied to something much, much deeper and has more to do not so much with your wallet but with your heart. I know that. So because I know that, I am, I'm willing to put it out there and I'm saying, you can test me. You can try me. That's huge. I'm going to read it, all right? Put me to the test. I'm going to read it. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. That's interesting. Because you know what? I think if I was God, I probably wouldn't have went that direction. I'd have said, you know what, do it and maybe it'll work out, right? But he says, no, I am the God. I am the one who owns it all, and I will take care of you. It's interesting, talking about the whole first thing. Um, we try to do this, and I've kind of shared with you my, guy, my struggle, my family's struggle with tithing and giving. Um, and it, it's, you know, and it's been a struggle. I tell you, we, we now give over 10%, but I tell you, it didn't start like that. And I think I told you guys last week, the first 14 years of our marriage, we basically gave nothing. I mean, we struggled with this and we kept on saying, well, if we had more, if we did this, and it was just a struggle. But finally, you know, what God just convicted us and we had some people in our lives ask us some really deep questions who knew what we were making and knew what we were giving and they said, you know, what's going on here? And it, it, it's then that Kim and I said, you know what, we've got to do this. 
And this was before one church ever got started. And we said, okay, we've got to figure out a system that we can make this, because it has, it has everything to do with faith. It has everything to do with how much we love God. Again, it's easy for us to say, okay, you know, God, I want you to be first in my prayer life. Right? I mean, how easy is that? Who else are you going to pray to? Right? Seriously. I mean, it's easy to say, God, you know, I'll put you first in, you know, what I do on Sunday mornings. Well, again, okay, great. God's going, great job. But God is saying this to you and to me. And he, and he makes this promise that he, if, he is going to honor us if we honor him in our finances. God has promised in this passage of Malachi chapter 3 that if you start moving in God's direction, he will start moving in your direction. God has promised that if you prioritize his kingdom and prioritize his deal, he will take care of you. That's huge. Because prioritizing God financially, God realizes this, lets God know where your heart is. And it shows you where your heart is. Let me tell you, that's huge. So, you know, and I know some of you, again, if you're not Christians, I'm glad you're here. And I'm really not talking to you. We don't want you to give anything. All right? We want you to give your heart to Jesus. But here's the thing. Many of you, you're just hearing it's, it's, it's because some, you know, some, somebody wants something for me. And that has nothing to do with it. it. You're hearing somebody wants my money. God says to the nation, and Jesus is getting ready to tell us in Matthew, he says, this isn't about getting your money. This is about getting your heart. Because our heart is tied to our money. God says, I want to be number one. Remember, Jesus is number one, right? God wants to be number one, and God knows you, and God knows me, that when I'm number one in the realm of your finances, God says, then I know I'm number one in your life. That's huge. Now, with that being true, all right, not getting God the leftovers, and about reprioritizing our money, let's look at Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Because some of you say, oh, that stuff's Old Testament. Right. Well, let's look at the New Testament. Let's look at what Jesus has to say about this connection between our moolah, our cash, our stuff, and our heart. It says this, verse 24 of Matthew 6. No one. Everybody say no one. No one can serve two masters. In other words, there's only going to be no one, number one. All right? Who is going to be first in your life? For you will hate the one. And love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And God says that, you know what? Either I'm going to be number one on the list, or I'm going to be number five on the list. And then he gets really specific. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, here's what you would think you could not serve both God and Satan, right? God and, you know, the most evil thing you could think of. But he doesn't do that. He says, no, you cannot serve both God and money. See, the competition isn't between God and Satan. God's done won that battle, by the way. I'm just saying. You need to show up next week. We're going to talk a lot about that. It's going to be fun. There is no competition between God and Satan in our life. The competition is between God and moolah and money and our wallet, where we spend our money. And God is saying, look, I'm either going to be at the top of your list and as it relates to your personal finances, I'm going to be number first or I'm going to be last. 
And there is a kind of a middle ground here. And isn't that how it looks? Again, we could throw up that list or we could see me, me, we, me, and then we put God at the end. Look at this. Skip down to verse 31. Jesus says this. Again, this is red letter. So don't worry about these things. That's huge. If I, and I don't want you to answer this raising your hand, but some of you, I know, because I'm as well, we have a tendency to worry, don't we? I know I do. Man, I tell you, we, uh, I, and I see this, and I, I'm always hesitant to kind of tell you what stuff we're struggling with, because I don't want you to feel like, you know, do anything, so I'm not going to do that. But I know for some of you, you all got stuff that breaks in your life. Your house, something on your house breaks, something on your car breaks, something like that. We talked about this our very first week, that if God is the owner, then that means it's all God's, and that means you are the renter. And again, I asked this question, how many of y'all have ever rented, you know, maybe leased, rented a house, something like that? If something breaks, who is supposed to, you know, pay for it? Who's supposed to fix it? The landlord. Exactly right. That's huge. I mean, you could do it. You could fix it if you wanted to. But you ain't got to because you don't own it. And see, that's what we're talking about. And this is what helps out with the whole worry factor. If you're doing your life like you own your life, then when something breaks, you have to fix it. And you got to start worrying. But the Bible teaches very clearly, don't worry. How can you do that? By prioritizing God in every every area, And that means, I mean, putting him number one in every area, even how you spend your money. And then when you do that, you are acting, you are are doing your life like God is the owner. He is the landlord. And when something gets busted all up, you go to God and go, seriously? Seriously. I I mean, there's sometimes you just need to talk frank with God. That God will never ever go, do you know who you're talking to? Your mom or your daddy may say that. But seriously, you, you read the book of Psalms and read how David sometimes talked to God. It w- wasn't so much disrespectful, but he was able to talk to God like he was talking to a person. In fact, it says this about Moses. The Moses talked to God like he was talking to a friend is what it says in the Bible. And some of us, we, we have this tendency to not really be real with God. But sometimes, you know, God, listen, I need some help. You told me to do it this way and to put you to the test. So I'm asking for your help. Keep on going. So don't worry about these things saying what shall, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. Let's take that W and turn it upside down. Let's say it like this. What will me eat, what will me drink, and what will me wear. In fact, that, that, that's the me, me, me. And that's what we've been doing up to this point, many of us with our finances. Me, 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 and then God's at the last. All right? And that really is the real issue. It's, I'm worried about what's number one. I want to I make sure that I have enough money to spend, to repay, to pay taxes, all of that stuff. And God, you're kind of at the end. And that's where God is getting to the heart of this because he doesn't want our leftovers. Look what it says in verse 32. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. People who don't even believe in God. Don't even reprioritize their life about what God prioritizes their life. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Isn't that something? He already knows all of your needs. And we we talked about this last week, the difference between wants and needs. And there's a huge difference there. But here is huge. He already knows 
all of our needs. And then the last verse we're looking at, a verse that many of you have heard, many of you maybe even have on your refrigerator, maybe even have on a, on a bumper sticker on your car, but it's related to money. This is what it says, Matthew six thirty three. What's that first word? But. That's what it says, right? But, that's right. But what? Seek, what is it? Let's all say that. That's an all skate. Seek first. That's what we're talking about today. Seek first my kingdom, Jesus says, and God's righteousness above all of these other things will be added or given to you. Now, this isn't Chris talking. This is Jesus. This is red letter. In other words, Jesus says this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to prioritize me by turning your list upside down. I want to be God first. I want you to put God first. I want you to seek me first. And he says, if you seek me first, then all of these other things, two, three, four, five, will be added unto you. All the things that you need, all the things, not so much that you want, we all have a lot of wants, right? All of us got that. We know. Crevice is a coming, right? But all of our needs, all of our needs will be met. And isn't that the biggest thing that we worry about? Right? How are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to have enough money for Christmas? Are we going to, and just fill in the blank. We, that, that's what we worry about. But God says we can take worry out of the picture when we fire ourselves from being owners and make God the owner because he owns it all. He is the landlord and we are the tenant. Now, let me share you practically how this can work out and then we're going to be done for today. We'll be done a little bit earlier. So I don't think I have any questions. And uh, I've done this before. Again, I apologize if you've been here, um, but it's biblical and there's nothing new under the sun, all right? I have $10 here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. By the way, I had to borrow this. <laughs> I borrowed it from my mom and dad, all right? Because I never carry cash. I'll be honest with you. In fact, quick question. How many of y'all never carry cash? Sweet. How many of y'all uh, never carry a checkbook? Uh, you and me both, my friend. In fact, let me tell you one of the things that we're doing differently uh, coming up in December, God willing, it should be here, is we're doing something called a giving kiosk. And what it is, is because, again, I've, I've not had a checkbook in almost a decade. Kid you not. Just, I don't, I never have one. And I never have cash. And again, the reason why if I have cash, I spend it. I'm just going to be honest with you, all right? So I never have cash. I do everything off of a check card. And, and, and there's something about that that, and it's not a credit card, it's a check card, that, you know what, if I want something from Best Buy, I'll usually pick up the movie and I'll walk around with it and I usually pray about it and almost always I'll put it back. There's something about that I struggle with. This, I don't struggle with. I'm like, oh, it's just a buck. I'll get a Coke. Oh, it's another buck. Oh, biggie size. It's, you know what I'm saying? I'm just telling you. So it's just my own junk. All right. Here's the thing. We're going to do this giving kiosk where all, you can take your check card, you can swipe it, and you can punch in, and you can kind of try the whole tithing thing. Because so many times, I mean, we do that in every other area. You know, we, we do uh, automatic bill pay with our water or gas or whatever. So um, that's something that you can do. And, and Joel's going to talk a little bit more about that when he comes out talking about secure give. But let me get back on. Ten bucks. And let's say whatever amount of money you get, all right, let's break it down into groups of ten. Here's the first one. The first one, 
God's kingdom first. That's what we're talking about today. Not giving God the leftovers. God, this is yours first. Second one, so a dollar to God. The second dollar, we save. Why do we save it? Because mess is always going to happen, right? You're going to have your air conditioner or your, this time of year, your heater go out in your vehicle. You're going to need new tires. Something's going to break on your house. That second dollar, you save. Now, what do you do with the other eight? Have fun. Seriously. Of course, you pray and you talk to God. Okay, but really, th- th- that's what we do. One more time. We give, we save, and we live on the rest. That's it. Now, I know when we, if we had $10 in our hand, if you had $10, you'd go, man, a dollar, that's all God wants? I, we can give that, right? It's not that big of a deal. What we have a problem with is when the $10 grows, right? You know what I'm saying? Because you and me were the same way. I was looking at um, my checking account this past week, and I was looking, you know, um, I want to make sure everything's good, and, and I saw our tithe came out through, uh, you know, secure give, and I'm like, dumb. I sure could use that money somewhere else. And I'm like, no. Number one, I'm preaching on giving. Number two, I'm the preacher. Number three, you know what? In the grand scheme of it all, it's not that much. It looks big when the amounts get a little bit bigger than 10 bucks. God says, give first, reprioritize your list, save second, and live on the rest. Again, that's simple. And and some of you, I'm just going to be honest with you, we talked about this last week, about God loves a cheerful giver. Some of you can't start with 10%. Okay, that's cool. Start somewhere. Start a percentage. Maybe it's 3%, 4%. It doesn't really matter. But put God to the test. That's huge. And you'll see that if you put God to the test in this area, you will realize that God will come through for you. It may be in a financial way. It may not be in a financial way. It may be in a relational way. And I'm telling you, I've heard this so many times, and I've seen it in my own life. This isn't a ploy. We don't want your money. God doesn't want your money. God wants your heart. Because he realizes in Chris and in you, the competition isn't between God and Satan. We're going to look next week. God has won that battle. Jesus comes back, he's coming back dressed in white on a white horse, and he's coming picking a fight, right? But I'm just going to, i got a little bit of time. You ever see anybody in a bar dressed in white wanting to pick a fight? You don't pick a fight with that person. Let me tell you the reason why. Because if they're dressed in white, they don't plan, plan on getting dirty. I'm just saying, just saying. Jesus is going to come down and he's going to go like this. And it's all over. There is no Armageddon. There's nothing. Again, we're going to talk about that next week, all right? But you put God first. No more leftovers. You put him first, and you put God to the test in this area of your life. All right? See if there's any questions. Yes. How do you feel about claiming tithes on taxes? Absolutely. And let me tell you the reason why I don't have a problem with that. It's because the government allows it. So um, if you're here this morning and uh, you're a multi-millionaire, welcome to one church. Um, <laughs> just saying, I'm just playing with you guys. But if you needed a tax write-off, <laughs> that was kind of funny. All right, um, if you needed a tax write-off, 
Absolutely. Because the government will allow you to take it off in your taxes. In fact, one of the things that we do every year in January, uh, our bookkeeper, uh, Connie Parker, she does, and I don't know what anybody gives. Connie does. Um, so anyway, uh, watch out for her. So, but Connie, uh, she, will, uh, she will take everybody's given records and she will either mail it to you so that you can be able to take it off on your income taxes. Totally do that because the government allows that. Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that a bit. Um, in fact, right now, I'm just going to be honest with you. One of the things I got a, a lady uh, here at one church, her name is Sam. And uh, uh, Sam and I, we're looking at uh, people who own a bunch of land around Tiny Town. Because, you know, we've been around here for five years, and God willing, one day, um, uh, if, we have, if God blesses us, we'll have a church facility so that we don't have to sit up and tear down and all this stuff. And uh, I know some of y'all are really excited about that. My friend Tom over there, he usually runs marathons on Saturday and comes on Sunday to help us, you know, sit up and tear down. And Tom and I have nothing in common except Jesus, So because uh, I don't run marathons, all right? Just saying. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, there's nothing wrong with buildings. Uh, the, the, what's wrong is so many times churches, when they get a building, they start getting off focus. And I'm not saying all churches, but there's that temptation. And, but I also know this. We've been here for five years, and uh, we've been meeting at the movie theater. We've been meeting here. And sometimes people just get tired. In fact, if you're on set of a 10 on team, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been here for 5.30 this morning. I understand that. But we're t- contacted, me and my friend Sam, she gave me some people that we can contact, and we're going to write them letters. Hey, if you've got so much land, if you need a tax write-off, give some land to one church, and you can take it off your taxes, and you can love Jesus. So anyway, so anywho, so absolutely take it off uh, your, your taxes. N- not that big of a deal. But really good question, though. It's a really good question. So anyway, let me pray for you guys. Thank you so much for your questions. And I really would encourage you, next week, we're going to stop talking about money and start talking about the end of the world. It's going to be really fun. So um, uh, what, what, did I say something dumb? I, I, it happens all the time. I apologize. I, I don't know what I said that was funny, but afterwards, somebody come up and tell me. All right, make sure if I need to apologize or something. So.